Coming up on the Dilbrum All-Rounder podcast, the English Premier League is our focus sport this week. We're looking at the Leicester Premiership win in 2015 and 2016, a miraculous result, and we'll really take a deep dive into it. My guest this week is Aditya Thakur. I'll be bringing him on shortly. Got a lot of other exciting content to release over the next few weeks and months. Going to be looking at some other sports as well. AFL, the Sydney Swans, who knows, some rugby, some tennis as well. I need to cover that because I love my tennis and some other great cricket and sporting content. So keep listening, keep downloading. As I said, when you download these episodes, you see that download button, keep pressing it. It's good for my numbers and I'll see you right after this. Leicester City are the champions of England. Hello and welcome to the Dilibram All-Rounder podcast. It is the 16th of September. We are recording at approximately 2.30pm. My guest today is Mr. Aditya Thakur. Aditya, welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Very formal. (laughs) Aditya, This is your first episode, so the first question I always ask, if you could have chosen a sport that you'd be a superstar athlete in, what would it have been? I've thought about this a fair bit. My go-to sport is always football. I started playing football when I was in under fours, and ever since then and even nowadays, every now and then I'll see myself dreaming of being in a a Liverpool jersey playing playing football, so it has to be football. Under fours? Under fours, yeah. Wow. The youngest age you start. So you would have been three years old? I think you might be four if you play okay. fours. Yeah. You know I'm going to ask you this. Who's the GOAT? Also a good question. So when you say no context, I think the way I think about it is you gotta, you got to look at it from not necessarily a particular sport, but all sport in general. Yep. So if you take that perspective and you think about football, which is easily the most popular sport in the world and easily the most played sport in the world, on a very simple basis, it's probably the hardest to be the best at if that makes sense. So the most people play it. So probably the most, if you take a simplistic view, it's the most difficult sport to be the best at. So then now I narrow it down to football. And then I think it must be a modern player. And when I say modern, someone in the last 30, 30-ish years, just because of the fact that the game's evolved so much. And nowadays, you know, basically from the day you can kick a ball, you're being taught very technical skills. Mm. So it's a modern player. So then we come down to either Penado or Pessi. <laughs> And for people who aren't trolling, trolling, Ronaldo, yep. people who aren't trolling the the blogs like Dilip or myself, that, that's Ronaldo or Messi, and I have to pick Messi. You set out the criteria, you, you set it out, and you're entitled to your view. You love saying you're entitled. <laughs> I to do. Your view. I do say that. But then, a lot. does that mean that you disagree or that you're not going to say anything? There's a strong argument that you made for Messi to be the goat. Yep. Yep. What about what's your? I mean, not getting into it at all. But Messi versus Messi versus Ronaldo, you're not. 
not approaching the topic today. No, but I think the World Cup um, yep. changed yeah. things. I think, I think that's the easiest way, easiest yeah. thing to point to. Yep. Yeah, it's the easiest one. He's got one. Pinaldo doesn't. Yeah, Pinaldo. Tapiano Pinaldo. Is that how I love to call him? Okay, so Aditya, you briefly raised the point about how you got into football, but I'm particularly interested in that sort of background and that story because that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about football. We're talking about soccer. Before I get into it, is it football or soccer? To be to be completely honest, I grew up in Australia and um, I def- default say soccer. I'd like to call it football, but that's just what comes naturally. But today we're going with football. Football is has an interesting history, an interesting story in Australia. I was reading some statistic which said that from the ages of 6 to 13, almost 48% of kids play football. And I was gobsmacked by that stat. The, the second sport was, I think, 30% of basketball. And then you had other sports, cricket, tennis, rugby. But that surprised me because Australia has never been seen as a powerhouse of football, but we have the highest participation rate at a young level. It's confusing why it doesn't translate. To kind of talk about it, I think it's a very easy sport to set up, super easy sport to understand. So it, it kind of lends itself towards young children or young kids. I think, you know, it's it's outdoor, it's it's a team sport, so that kind of... Why that doesn't translate? Australia obviously has, 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 as a massive sporting nation, has a number of different sports that people gravitate towards. So I think as people get a bit older, they might be, I don't know, they start playing other sports, yeah. more contact sports, and that's kind of... The the season itself, it doesn't align with the European season because it's seen as a winter sport, but then the winter sports are dominated by the other codes. And so I think there's some difficulties there in where actually football should be played in Australia and what particular seasons it should be played. But it clearly shows there's a strong participation level at the, at the grassroots, which means Australia, if it wanted to, could be a powerhouse. You said you played it uh, under fours. That's how you got into it. I actually played a little bit of football, a little bit of soccer. I played under tens for Macquarie Dragons, uh, but I particularly played goalkeeper reluctantly. It was one of those positions they said, I saved one or two goals and then they said, oh, we want you to play. And I think I remember I cried like three or four times when they put me in goals because I actually wanted to be out there striker or midfielder. I'm pretty sure I cried three or four times. (laughs) I got into the Premier League through SBS and SBS, Les Murray, what Les Murray, Craig Foster, this guy called, uh, you won't know this guy, Francis Awaratifi. Okay. He used to host this show with Craig Foster on SBS. It was a one hour show. They would just analyze what was happening in Australian football, what was happening in English football. And it was a way in which Australians could absorb and see what was going on in the world game. Those SBS one hour shows, it would come on a Monday night. And the first team I saw, Adu, I'm calling Adu, that's your nickname. Yep, yep. The first team I saw was Arsenal. They were dominating at the time, but that was when the peak prime Arsenal years. And that's how I started supporting Arsenal because they were the first team I saw. I saw this name, H-E-N-R-Y, and I thought his name was Henry. He was a striker. Yep. I found out he was actually French and it was Thierry Henry. Yep. And I saw this manager at the sideline. His name was Arsene Wenger. And at that time, I assumed Arsene, I thought the Arsenal team was named after him. Yep, yep. I always enjoyed watching football because it was a 90-minute sport that'd be done in two hours, and it was always end-to-end stuff. And I'm assuming that's why you fell in love with the sport. 
Yeah, mine. I think probably, and even even to this day, I'm probably more of a of a, of a player than a, than a watcher, and that comes that I probably talk to all sports like that. But more so with football, I think. I mean, yeah, I started playing in the under fours, and I remember scoring my first goal. Like I, I can genuinely visualize it, and that's probably when I was like, hey, wait, I can. This is fun. I can hang out with my friends. I can um, score a goal, so then I can be the man for two seconds. And <laughs> were, you, were you striker? Were you, when oh, you were the younger? under fours, you're kind of it's, it's like, just anywhere. You're just anywhere. Yeah. yeah. But then, as I grew a bit older, my dad was a big football fan, so I think that's right. definitely played a played a big influence. One of my fondest memories is waking up in the early hours of the morning, early hours of the morning, as you do in Australia, um, watching any football really, um, watching the 1998 football World Cup, which France went on to win um, in France. They, th- I think. That kind of really solidified both the I can play this, look at all these superstars, look what they do with the ball, look how famous they are. So that yeah. kind of the celebrity attached to a, to a football player as well. Would um, you say 98 was your first memory of watching like a memorable football game, yeah. the World Cup? Yeah, yeah. I remember watching, I think, so the first game was my dad being Bengali, which is which is a part of India. Yeah. Um, but he, the Bengali... They've got a very a, strong, rich very football strong, history. Exactly, exactly. And all of them are Brazilian fans. I don't know why. Right. And so he was a massive Brazil fan. And the first game I watched, I think it was against, was Brazil against Scotland. Okay. And you can look this up. Wow. And then obviously went on to go to the final, but that was definitely yeah, yeah my first experience of, of watching football, actually enjoying it and then talking about it and so on. Being in Australia, you're kind of, you're always having to pick your favorite team when it comes yeah. to football, but that's with the English Premier League. Like you're exactly. kind of, you've got this story around Arsenal. I can't even remember what the story is around Liverpool, but all I remember is just being a kid and being in love with this team that I have no genuine connection to. Yes, and it's very similar when it comes to the World Cup because you've always you're always having to pick your favourite team, yeah, and support them. Australia's connection with English Premier League, which is probably a reason why we both support it, it's helped that we've had a lot of Australian superstars play there. Harry Kiel playing for your team and Leeds United, Viduka, Tim Cahill, Brett Emerton. Having those superstars play on a global stage in the English Premier League helped a lot of Australian fans really uh, idolise the Premier League and see it as our final stop. I mean, I think a lot of Europeans will say, well, we want to play for Real Madrid, we want to play for Barcelona. For a lot of Australians, it's the dream is to play for an English club because that's where we saw all our superstars play. Now we fast forward to the 2015 and 2016 season. It was the 24th Premier League season that took place and it takes place usually from early August to the middle of May. It's a fairly long season when you come to think of it because they're playing a lot of other tournaments in between and it was the 117th season of top flight English football. Chelsea began the season as defending champions. They had just won under Jose Mourinho. Bournemouth, Watford and Norwich entered the season as the three promoted teams uh, from the previous championship. So we entered this season with a lot of different expectations for a lot of different teams. You had the usual teams with Man City, Arsenal, Liverpool, even Tottenham, Man United, all vying and considering that they were a chance of competing and possibly getting the top four or winning the premiership. Ferguson, one of our rivals for both Liverpool and Arsenal, Alex Ferguson, he'd retired in 2013 as the all-time winningest manager. He'd been replaced by David Moyes for half a season and then was now replaced by Louis van Gaal. So we had a lot of newer and younger managers overseeing a lot of these teams. Now, I think that's probably a nice way to get into hot seat, which was who came into the season under the most pressure. The number one was Chelsea, Jose Mourinho. I think under Abramovich, any time a manager came into a new season, the expectation was to win at all costs. And I don't think Chelsea was any different. 
Yeah, I mean, if you kind of frame it like that, that's probably that's probably the right way to right answer. Um, he was kind of most under pressure. Definitely Chelsea, kind of defending champions. They had a really good team. I think Hazard at that, you know, arguably the best player in the world at that point in time. And he, I mean, everything was working for them and, and very surprising how they ended up going in the 15, 16 season. It was shocking. It was shocking, yeah. Because if you look at how, because obviously Mourinho is, is pushed out halfway through the season. Um, but if you look at the number of games, I think he got pushed out after losing losing nine out of 15 games or something like that. Um, You'd never see that from a Mourinho team. Because he came in in, I think, in two years before that. So call it 2013. Had one season of kind of rebuilding. Yes. And then one in 14, 15. Yep. And then... Where so they, they won the league. Where they won the league, exactly. Yeah. And then so they, you kind of, he, 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 you thought he had set the formation. I mean, funny enough, they win the season after Leicester yeah. as well. But um, so they, he wins, yeah, he wins in 14, 15 and you think they're just going to keep going. Everything's working for them. So it's, it was very surprising how it, it was, all worked out. If you're doing a hot seat on any English Premier League season, under Abramovich, it's always Chelsea. They always come in under the most pressure. Personally, I thought... Arsenal was in a very interesting position. In 2015, it had been 12 years since Arsenal, their invincible team, went through the season undefeated. And a lot of Arsenal fans were growing uneasy with the way in which the team was progressing. Arsenal fans have this view that by moving to the new stadium, it would open up this war chest of money that they could go out and spend on these massive superstars and solidify their team. There was always this view that we had a weak midfielder, we had a weak defense, and all we needed was two or three players to strengthen that. But this year, particularly, the pressure was on Wenger and the board and the owners to spend money and show that Arsenal could compete and win another title. I'd say my third hot seat was Liverpool. I think Klopp had just come in. Yeah, so in Klopp 15. came in halfway through halfway through the season, but at the start of the season, you still have Brendan Rodgers. Right. Yeah, okay. Yep. And having come so close two years ago, where if not for a Gerrard slip... Don't, don't, don't talk <laughs> about it. We can't talk about it. I thought Liverpool were probably thinking that uh, str- another strong season here with other teams maybe not as strong as in previous yep. years yep. that you were coming in with a chance to win the premiership. Yeah, no, I think your point around, it was it was definitely a bit of a changing of guard. So like Man City had won, I think, what, in the, in 2013? Yes, their yeah. first their, their first, first premiership. Their first when, premiership? When they beat Q, the, the famous QPR. Yeah, yeah the Aguero, Aguero. I think it was Aguero a year goal. just before. So Ferguson retired in 2013. They might have won just the previous did, year. Yeah, yeah. So they yeah. won 2012, yeah. then Ferguson wins in 2013 and retires. Yeah. Retires. And then City wins again. Yeah. So now you've you've got City kind of established as a big five, big six team. You've got Chelsea, you've got... Even Tottenham, to some extent, under Tot- Pochettino. Yep, yep. No, Tottenham's put in... You've got um, Son and Kane come in. Kane really hitting his stride at that point. Exactly. He was um, maybe young player of the year around that time. So clearly... A lot of teams had, were coming into this season with a strong expectations to win. And we've set out that there were a number of teams that thought, hey, if we can get on a roll here, we've got a chance of winning the premiership. We didn't even mention Leicester. I would say Leicester at the start of the season, nobody's putting them on the hot seat. No. Nah. Contextually, we can get into this as we go into the overview of the season. But Leicester entered the season as probably vi- hoping that they could maybe finish mid-table. Yeah. Because the previous year, though, they had won seven of their last eight games to save themselves from being relegated. Yep. I think it was, yeah, eight or nine games to go, they were sitting last. Yeah. Dead last. Um, and different manager as well. Different manager, exactly. Um, and when you're, 
in that position. I mean, they had won the, they had only just been promoted to the Premier League the yes. season before. So, I mean, even in that context, so 2015, 16, they win. 2013 is their first season in the Premier League after some time. So, they're, sorry, the 2014, 15 is their first yeah. season in the Premier League, but they win the championship. And they're, in, they're at 20th with nine games to go <laughs> and then end up winning, what is it, eight or seven, seven games. They go on this winning streak. They somehow rescue themselves, stay in the Premier League. And as we know, it's very financially, there's a lot of incentives to stay in the Premier League mm-hmm. um, in terms of how much money you are able, able to spend on players and on future players. But nobody was, nobody was giving them a Have you heard chance. the, um, and I'm sure this will come up, but like, have you heard the odds of what, what, what? I have. Yeah, yeah. And I, I want to go through in um, Would You Believe That what is more likely than Leicester winning the season. But the season itself had a lot of ups and downs. I, I watched this clip, Ardu, on YouTube. It, it was a two-minute clip and it just shows week by week the premiership table and how it changed over time. And it was really fascinating to watch that because it showed how how many times the top of the table would change early on in the season where you had Man United lead for a little bit, Man City lead, Tottenham lead, Arsenal lead, Leicester lead. It was something that you'd never, you would never have thought at the start of the season. But interestingly, other than Arsenal and Tottenham winning probably five or six matches in a row here and there, they, the, the, the title challenge actually never came after a while. As in they just were cruising along and they suddenly were in a position where they're going to win? Yeah, in the sense... It, it was close up until December, up until January, and nobody gave Leicester any chance. So they always assumed that there would be there would come this time where Leicester would start losing a few games, and then the confidence would drop, and yep. they would fall out of yep. the title I contention. Think, I think that no, I think you're right. I think even when I kind of was looking back at this season, you're kind of you, there's it's difficult to find a point in time where you're like Leicester's going to win, or they they might look like they're not going to win. Exactly. I think the only point I could or looking back can can point to is um, Vardy scores the the goal like his goal against Liverpool is probably the yeah. goal of the season, which is just it's a ridiculous goal, unreal goal. Yeah, yeah. So they end up winning that game, and I think the next game is against City, or maybe maybe a couple of games apart. But they they beat City three nil, three one, three one. Yeah, okay, three one. So I think away the, from home, away from home. Yeah, exactly. So then when they win, once they win that game, I think that's when. Wait, everyone's kind of like, wait a second, what's going on here? I think they might win. What I was going to say about the start of the season, when you were saying that there's different teams kind of there up in, up in the front, the Premier League season is 38 games long. It's, it's not like many other sporting competitions where it's more of a knockout competition, right? So it's a league um, after 38 games, doesn't really matter. It's, it's just the team that's at the top. And it's all about consistency, which is yes. also why that makes this story so much more unbelievable. Like when you think about... Um, when I was when I was thinking about what's a better footballing underdog story, I can't. There's, I don't think there is one. At least in the modern ages, like after the I don't know nineties. Yeah, um, I, I wouldn't be able to think of one. Yeah, there was. You know when Greece won the the Euros? Yeah, two thousand four maybe. But it was knockout. It was knockout. That's that's my point exactly. Yeah. So you got to win. I don't know what is it? Eight games. Sure, they're difficult games. And Greece, I think, won quite a few games one nil as well. And not taking anything away from Greece, it was still a fantastic achievement. The fact that, that for 38 games, you got to consistently perform and Leicester's just there in the fr- at the start of the season, sitting at, I don't know, four, five and just winning and drawing and winning and drawing and making their way to the top of the table. They were extremely know- consistent. Yeah, exactly. 
And then do you, do you remember how many games they ended up losing at the end of the season? Well, I, I'm cheating here because I have the table yeah, in front yeah, of me, okay. but three. That's insane as well. The season itself, Liverpool didn't really make a challenge. Man United didn't, didn't make a challenge. It was a two-horse race for a little bit between Tottenham and Leicester. Ultimately, Arsenal finished second and Tottenham finished third. But there was a while there where Pochettino's men had a strong chance if they wanted to, to win the title, but they weren't able to. Yeah, it was probably the, I can't remember, like prior to that, Tottenham really competing for the title. Yeah, I, in, yeah, no. Yeah, so it was one of those seasons where, as a Tottenham fan, I mean, even as a neutral, you're kind of like, you you just never envisaged Leicester winning. Yeah. Like when Tottenham was making waves and I was like, Liverpool's not going to win yeah. this year. You're kind of supporting Tottenham. I mean, as an Arsenal supporter, you probably aren't. But um, I wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but as a neutral, you're kind of like, oh, it'll be it'll be it'll be nice to see them win something. Um, and you're like, it, it'll be a bit of a fairy tale story, fairy tale ending. But it, what ends up transpiring is even more than that. So when you look at it, at the end of the day, the end, the season finishes. Leicester finish up on eighty-one points. In any other season, eighty-one points might only be good enough for fourth or fifth in in some Premier League. Yep, in some yep. Premier Especially League seasons. Especially in kind of like more recent times where you're in the high 90s, right? Exactly. So an 81-point season doesn't, it's not suggesting that you're going to win the league. But in this league where the teams were a little bit more evenly placed, it was enough to win the season. I mean, it's just one of those things where everything kind of worked out in their yep. favour, where they hit their stride. I mean, th- they were obviously performing fantastically and they had certain team members that were just, and the formation and what they did was allow them to achieve their results, but they also had um, teams that were transi- in, in transition phases. I mean, Arsenal ended up coming second and they scored 71 points. Yeah. So like 71 points is, I don't know, normally a seventh or eighth kind of team. So it, like, yeah. it's... But it um, bugs me. It really bugs me that when I think about Arsene Wenger and his career with Arsenal, he won three Premier League titles and came so close on four or five other occasions where Arsenal would be leading the Premier League by in January and then falter away in the second half of the season. If any season was a chance for Arsenal to win, it was this season. But as, as a yeah. football fan, I know you're kind of like, this yeah, is just yeah. one of those moments, or just as a sport fan, you're just like, this is one of those moments which is kind of, I don't know, kind of explain and, and you can't tell me explain why you love it. it. Yeah. You, you just can't explain it. I, at the end of the season, we even had the Prime Minister, David Cameron, at the time. He tweeted his congratulations. He said, an extraordinary, thoroughly deserved Premier League title. So it went all the way up to, you know, the English government. Former Leicester manager Martin O'Neill, he said he described it as the greatest achievement of this century. Ah, oh, man, we watch him a lot through Match of the Day, Gary Lineker. Yep. He said that in March, he would host a BBC football show in his underwear if Leicester won the title. And I think when he said that, he was half kidding. After they won the title, he did actually present yep. in boxer shorts and there's a YouTube video of it. So if anyone's interested in watching Gary Lineker, you can do that. It was it was something we'll never see again. It was um, the way I, my barometer for how much a sporting event matters outside of like people who are following the sport is how much it comes up on the AFR. So the AFR is an Australian financial, the, the Australian Financial Review, an Australian financial focused paper. And usually you'll see like when someone wins a World Cup or someone, Serena Williams wins the US Open, you kind of see one little headline. I remember at that kind of, we were pretty junior in our careers at that point in time. Almost every week, there'll be an update on Leicester and it'll be in the front, on the front page or like even, even when you're viewing online. And that kind of showed you that the whole world was fascinated by this story. The whole world was kind of focused on 
and and kind of you know was spitting out these facts. It's similar to when like the Matildas were, were playing yes. um, in the Women's World Cup, when everyone really gets behind it, and everyone is suddenly really interested in this thing. And that kind were of were you reading the AFR in 2015? We were started. We started work. What do you mean? We have to. Yeah. You got to stay stay up to date. True. No, I'm that's it's, I'm impressed. <laughs> what kind of thing? What what were you reading? I don't know. I was just reading sporting articles 24-7. But no, no, no. I interrupted you. But AFR is a good good barometer to assess whether a sport's actually relevant. Exactly. Technically, they're never going to mention a sport. No. It's all about business. Exactly. I I think that's a good way of sort of surmising how important and how relevant and significant this season was. It was a season that we'll probably never see again in this age of no salary caps in the Premier League. Yeah. I mean, it's like... I, being a Liverpool fan, I mean, last, I don't know, say five years, five to seven, five years, really, um, we've, we've played well and we yeah. performed well. Prior to that, it was really difficult being a Liverpool, Liverpool fan. Because you, were, you weren't old enough to support Liverpool when they were when the they were dominant, dominant team. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, so you're kind of, you're, you're always a little bit disappointed and it's weird. And we, we've touched on this point before, but you go into the Premier League season being the biggest Liverpool supporter either, uh, like the big, biggest Liverpool supporter ever. And then you, as the season transpires, and they're in sixth place, and um, no one's scoring any goals, and the, you know it's just it's not fun, and and you kind of lose interest, and that might be you know, and you might cop a little bit of hate for that, not being a you know a diehard yeah. supporter, fair weather fans. Yeah, exactly. But um, as I think, so so what this did was it kept more eyes on the Premier League. Everyone yes. was still watching. Everyone was interested, even though it wasn't their team, and everyone was behind them because who wants like a rival team to win? You'd rather want this random team to win. And it's just a great story. Fulfillment of duty plays fulfillment of dream. Obligation plays fantasy. Logic deems Manchester City natural champions in waiting. Mischievous sporting fate is daring to give Leicester a chance. Lifted in beyond Nakazaki and squeezed home! Robert Huth has scored for Leicester City inside two and a half minutes! What's the next line of this crazy, crazy tale? Well, through towards Morris, who's got clear of Altamendi. Riyad Morris! 2-0 Leicester! Wow. Wow. Where is this going? Now you've got to believe it. Adu, we're going to hit into top five moments. I'm going to run through my top five, and I want you to jump in if I miss anything. Yep. Number one, Jamie Vardy. Vardy's having a party. But... <laughs> My first moment is Vardy scoring in 11 consecutive matches, surpassing Ruud van Nistelrooy's Premier League record of 10. At the start of the season, you'd never have said Vardy's the number one striker in the in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for anyone who hasn't played football, scoring in two or three consecutive games is a big feat. So scoring in 11 in the arguably the, the best league in the world is just insane. And, and they went on this run, I think, at that period. I think, I'm not, I can't remember when it was, but I feel like it would have been in the middle of the season. Yes. Which kind of got them up from whatever, third, November, fourth. December yeah. was around that period, yeah. yeah. And, he, and he scores 11, I think he scores 13 goals out of those 11. I think that there might be a hat trick in there somewhere. It was, cra- yeah. yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, it was insane. It was insane. I think, but also like his career, his personality, who he is, I think the UK audience or every Premier League audience really gravitated towards him because... Just like myself, you see a little bit of, un, not underdog, but just a common man in him. Yeah. And that people absolutely love. The fact that if you look at his, like I was looking at videos of 
Like they win the season in 15, 16. If you look at videos of him in 2009, 10, he's literally playing in like trailer parks. <laughs> and there's like, the, like when he goes and scores a goal, he scores this ridiculous goal and you go and high five, he's like center mid. And it's this guy with the like, you know, you can see his tummy from underneath yeah. his shirt. Kind of, that's the kind of people he was playing with. And he just kept scoring. He'd, what he would do is that he'd, he'd score, he'd be like top scorer um, for that particular league. He'd win with that league and then he'd get promoted or he'd get what's it called, transferred into yes. a better team. Go 11 times, as you said. People don't do it even at, you know, at park football level exactly. yep. to score yep. um, 11 in a row. And to do it in the one of the best leagues, probably the best league in the world, Cristiano Ronaldo, I, Ronaldo maybe did it at Real Madrid, I don't know. Yeah. But he was at that level at that time. He was scoring that many times that people were just looking forward to seeing Vardy on the field, this English striker with English roots, English mentality. He always worked hard. It was amazing. It's my number one moment of the season. Number two, Adu, for me, it was not a football moment, okay. but it was a, a celebration moment. Wait, okay, go. It's I'm excited. The, number two was the Leicester celebration when they won their title. Yep. They, they Claudia Ranieri has a friendship with yep. Andrea Bocelli. Yeah. Have you seen this video? It, it, it's spine tingling. <laughs> so... For people that uh, maybe haven't seen the video yet, there's a, there's a great video. If you type in Ranieri and Bocelli, you'll find the video. I think it's got 5 million views on yep. YouTube. Deserves more. They're, at the, they're in the middle of the stadium. And then Bocelli, who is, I think he's blind, half blind or fully blind. I think he is fully blind. Now. Fully yep. blind. He's in the middle of the park and holding Ranieri's hand and then sings the most amazing rendition of Nessun Dorma. And another song, but that that rendition of Nessendorma with the whole of Leicester, the, the stadium standing up and listening, I haven't seen a moment like that in a long time. It was one of the best footballing moments I've seen without a goal being scored. Yeah, um, that's a really good moment, and I'm glad you brought it up. So when you, one of the questions you'd asked me to think about was, what was your first? What do you um, what do you first recall when I say the name Ranieri? Yes. And I obviously, like, I just visualize his face and he's got a pretty serious face. He's got glasses. He doesn't look like a typical football manager. He's not very emotive at all. He looks and like then, a math teacher. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he looks like a scientist or something. Yeah. Um, and the, the, I visualize his face, but the moment I actually visualize is not to do with football. It's exactly the moment that you, where he's standing next to um, Bocelli, yeah. Bocelli. And then he's just supporting and he tries to quiet him yeah. down the, the crowd at some point. And the crowd's like, wait, what do you mean? We're winning a Premier League. Who is this guy? But then this Bocelli opens his mouth and they hear his voice and the euphoria across the stadium. There's flags everywhere. The whole stadium's packed. They're about to lift the Premier League. It's it's a insane moment. Number three, Aditya. You mentioned it briefly, but Vardy against Liverpool. I'm always partial to a screamer to be the goal of the season. And that was nothing short of that. It, it was a shot over Simon Mignolet, yep. your goalkeeper oh at the God. time. Yeah. Yeah. And it set Leicester up on their way to a win and keep them three points clear at the top of the table ahead of the trip, as you said, to Manchester City. Yep. So it just added to the moment and it signified that Leicester was here to stay and was there to remain at the top of the table. I think it was, um, yeah, it, it epitomized their season in the sense that it was he took the shot from in between, say, penalty, the, where the side of the penalty box and, and halfway is, and no one expected him to take the shot there. And the ball's bouncing, and it's a and it's a volley, and it's just insane. Like you need to watch it if you haven't seen it. But 
I think what it like no one was expecting it so similar to exactly what Leicester did and the quality of it was the finish of it is fantastic can I and, ask you as a footballer would you shoot from there like how explain how difficult that sort of shot and goal is no it's hard to explain um I think sometimes you um being in that situation it's it's all instinct like football is right. all instinct there's very little premeditation in football unless you're kind of taking I mean unless you're taking a penalty really okay the whole game is all, all all instinct. And and there's times when you're just like, I'm just going to hit it. When the ball's on the ground, you've got a couple of steps where you can push the ball away from you and then take a shot. Whereas a volley is you're like, I can, because he can see the ball coming over him. He sees the ball bounce and he's like, I'm going to hit it. <laughs> I'll be allowed to swear on this podcast, maybe not. But um, but, but the fact that he does do it yeah. and, he, and he converts. And also mm. also the like the confidence to do it at that stage, I think Vardy was just on something where he's just like, anything that I do is going to go in, which kind of just that, the 11 goals, like if you watch so that 11 game streak that he has, there's something about every shot that he takes. He's just like, if I hit it, it's just going to go in. It had a purpose behind it. Every time he went on the field, you, you assumed he would score. Yeah. My number four moment was Leicester's 2-1 win over Chelsea. It was a night when a lot of journalists said, the English football's tectonic plate is this, had shifted. Um, is this, sorry to interrupt, is this f- the first time they played Chelsea or towards the back end? It was the first time and that resulting in Mourinho's uh, sacking. Oh, and the, it was at Stamford Bridge or Leicester's home ground? I think it was uh, at Leicester's home ground. Okay. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it was the first time when they beat Chelsea and they beat Mourinho, it was such a dominant win that it no longer felt outlandish that Leicester could win the Premier, Premier League title. People would still doubt them, but... I thought it was a win that solidified them. And it sort of ties into my number five moment, which was Leicester's win over Man City, 3-1. We spoke about it. Manchester City under Pellegrini, who was the coach at the time, they rarely looked like they were going to break Leicester's defense. And while their own backline appeared vulnerable, Leicester beating Man City 3-1 with the amount of money that Man City had to spend on their players... At that point, you thought, this is now the time in which I would, I wouldn't say I expected it, but I wasn't surprised if Leicester went the whole way. Yeah, yep. I think that was the definitely, the definitely, definitely the turning point. I think if you listen to a few interviews back then as well uh, of Conte and stuff saying um, what that game meant to them and going into it, how they felt, and then once they got the victory and 3-1, which is a convincing win, is very Mahrez convincing. was an outstanding goal in that game as well. That was definitely the turning point. So I'd, I'd agree, that'd be a top five. A special mention... I don't know if you had this. It was a fi- it was one of the final games when Leicester actually won the title. They didn't win the title by playing. They won it because Tottenham and Chelsea drew. Which is a bit all. of a shame. Not a bit of shame. It's definitely a shame. It, it is. Yeah. For the season itself, yeah. you wanted Leicester to win by scoring a goal or finishing the match so that they could celebrate in you know euphoric fashion with their fans. And the story I understand from watching a documentary, yeah. Jamie Vardy had invited everyone over to his house. That was heartbreak for Tottenham, who still were holding out a, a small chance of uh, still winning the title if they'd won that game. But with Tottenham losing, the whole lesser team at Jamie Vardy's house started celebrating because they'd just won the title, and it was a very special moment. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good to watch. It's good to see. But it is a bit of a shame that it wasn't a game that they won that got them there. It's also surprising they won like three games out, which, I mean, in the end, they win by 10 points, which makes sense. But the fact that it was... Such a dominant win. It just still gets me. They were my moments. Have I missed anything? The only, maybe not in the season itself, but we, and we've touched on this, but the, the season prior, the run that they go on, which kind of gives them the momentum to 
get to where they are is probably is, is maybe in my head another top five because when you what it did to the players so they effectively went from sitting at 20th to finishing at maybe 14th and then winning the league the next year but at that point when they're sitting at 20th and every player is like I'm going to get relegated maybe I should move like Mara's and the better players are thinking about maybe I should get to a, to a better team yes but the fact that they've managed to pull it off there's a clip where Mares says that whatever you call it that escape the great escape I think they were calling it yeah he's like that felt just as good as winning the Premier League yes yeah so it's um, I mean you can see how from um, the, the fans perspective as well because you're kind of this minnow team where you're kind of used to kind of moving up and down and you're you've finally made it to the Premier League and you're going to be here for a while now and suddenly you're at rock bottom 20th and you go on this you've got nothing to look forward to because you're like oh we're going to end up in the championship and it's going to be the same old story back to but the then, grind exactly back to the grind yeah um but they go on this run and they they stay in the in the league and I can't imagine what they felt when once they go on the actual run to the to the win it's interesting that the players at the bottom of the table feel the same sort of euphoria surviving a Premier League relegation battle yeah. as opposed to players at the top. At the it's top. almost just as rewarding, yeah. as you yeah. say. So they were the top five moments. Hopefully, it's very subjective, Adu. I think some other people will have other great moments. There was the Liverpool-Norwich game, 5-4. There were other spectacular games, but we wanted to keep the focus on Leicester. They I think deserve they deserve it. it. I think they deserve they it. They deserve yep. it. Yep. So would you believe that? At the start of the season, what were the odds of Leicester winning? Do you remember? 5,000. 5,000 to 1. 5,000 to 1. Now, if I told you those odds, can I tell you two things that had a better chance of happening than Leicester winning the premiership? I'll, I'll guess a couple. Okay. One, one's Kim Kardashian becoming the US president. <laughs> I think that's that better was, than that five. Was, that, was, that was that one. What else was there? There was, um, oh, the, the Loch Ness monster. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the other one was finding Elvis Presley. Oh, that's the right. The that yeah. he was still alive. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a I'm not a betting man at all, but I I remember reading about how this was like the I don't know how to term it, but like the worst payout that the betting companies had to pay out, right? Or the highest odds that actually eventuated, um, which also kind of speaks to exactly what you're talking about. So Leicester became the first time winners of the top flight since Nottingham Forest in 1977. Jamie Vardy became the first Premier League player, as we said, to score 11 consecutive in 11 consecutive appearances in Premier League history. We know that now. Jose Mourinho, he lost to nine different Premier League opponents this season before his dismissal. And that was the same number that Chelsea had lost to in his previous three and a half seasons. Tough. And the final stat I have for you, Adu, is Aston Villa. They led for just 243 minutes the entire season. Less what than, did they end up coming? <laughs> they were relegated. Oh, right, they were relegated. <laughs> so, I mean, that I don't know if that means anything to people when we say that, but so leading for 243 minutes, a game is 90 minutes long. You play 38 games. So 38 times 90 is a huge number. And so to only be in the lead for 243 minutes suggests that your team was woeful. Something they're very, very proud of, I'm sure. There was... um. We haven't spoken too much about the technicalities of, of the team, yes. which I think is fine because it's a bit boring. But um, the obviously they were a counter-attacking team. I'm talking about Leicester now. Yeah. They're a very counter-attacking team. They used to play through their channels and um, really rely on Vardy, Mare. It was really Vardy kind of running after the ball and with Mare's it'd be more carrying the ball up. But they, I don't know if this record still stands, but 
one of the uh, interesting stats that I found was they won the premiership premiership with the least possession of any other team to do it. Really? And it was under 50%. So wow. throughout the season, I think it's in the mid 40s where they have uh, their average possession over the course of the season was less than 50%, so in the in the in the mid 40s. Um, only team and it's and it's by far the the lowest that any other team's done it, which kind of shows you how they played the game. Wow. How good they were at counterattacking. And how good Jamie Vardy really was at at, at um, converting. You'd never expect a premiership title winner to have less than 50% exactly. possession. We yeah. always assume the great Arsenal teams, the great Man United teams, the great Man City teams, dominate, uh, Liverpool dominated with possession. Yep. yep. And then a hard press. But to not have less, to have less than 50% possession and still win the title, that's, that, that's a great stat. Apex performances for this season, it's only fair that a lot of these players that we pick now, a lot of them have to be Leicester players. Because when I think of Don, I think of, was was this season the apex season for any player or any team? First one I want to give a shout out to is Riyad Mahrez. Yep. He scored 17 goals and had 11 assists. Glorious footwork, an amazing vision. He really solidified, gave Vardy uh, support as the lead striker and was probably one of the core reasons why Leicester was able to eke out wins on a regular basis. He stayed injury-free, and those stats just show that he was probably the best player in the league along with Vardy. Yeah, Mares is known nowadays to have the best first touch in right. the game. So if you watch, there's, this, like, there's all these weird clips on YouTube where he's just like stopping the ball at his feet from ridiculous positions. Um, but this is obviously the genesis of, of, of this of this player and how successful he got. He, how many seasons did he spend at Leicester? Maybe would you say three or four? Yeah, and then goes on to City. And um, did he leave the the next season? Or I don't he, think he did. He might have spent half around. a year. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he, but for for me, he did go. He he now plays for Manchester City and has won three or four more titles yep. under City. If you single out Mares and you you think about him as a player. I think a lot of us will go back to that Leicester year as the year which defined his character, his personality. I think he won player of the year, player's player of the year. Definitely was. The only other player which might be coming up is N'Golo Conte. Love it. Yeah. So he, I mean, obviously doesn't get the limelight um, just given the position that he plays. He's like a centre defensive midfielder. But if you look at his statistics yes, as a centre defensive midfielder and how many tackles he made. So I think he came from League One. Actually, this is a good story. There's a clip of Arsene Wenger saying, um, who are Are you going to tell me there's a clip of Arsene Wenger saying he could have signed Yeah, No, no, there is. A, there's a, there's a, I, I think, I, I think people know that. <laughs> but there's a clip of him saying there's two people he regrets not signing. One of them's N'Golo Kante. And there was French, I don't know, dudes coming up to him and being like, dude, you got you to gotta sign this guy. <laughs> and Arsene Wenger apparently is like, I don't see it. Wow. Who's the, who's the second dude? Do you know? Uh, there's... Every single player who's become a superstar, <laughs> Arsene Menger says he could have signed. He said that about Cristiano Ronaldo. He, he said, said that about Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Yeah. Okay, okay. The, the, I'm talking about Ronaldo where he's like, I was only a few days late. Yeah. <laughs> and then Ronaldo's like, yep, I'm going there. I, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear these stories. <laughs> anyway, but talking about Angola Kante, he, was, um, he came to Leicester probably the first season they were in the Premier yeah. League and from uh, the French League. And at that point, he was the... Making, I think, making the highest tackles in the French League. Yes. And then in this season, makes the highest tackles in the Premier League and also the highest interceptions by, by a decent decent margin. 
I've got um, the stats, 175 tackles in the Premier League and yeah. 156 interceptions, 15 more than any other player. Yeah, which is like, I was thinking, like I play, I still play football and I'm thinking about how many times I've tackled someone to get the ball off them. And in a game, it's, if you're lucky, if you get three. Really? Right? Okay. I, I like, like genuine tackle and I play more kind of attacking midfielder. So right. less so than him, but he's not a defender. And so, I mean, what's that on average? It's, I don't know, whatever, 40 divided, at least four or five per game. Yes. Right? So it's like, and he's doing it at, at, obviously at that level. And then the intercepts as well is just like, it's, um, uh, yeah, it's underrated. It's one of those, I mean, everyone knows that he's an underrated player. He goes on to Chelsea the next season. Yes. And becomes... They win the, the title, year. don't they? They win the title. Yeah. So he wins two years in a row. Yeah, that's right. And he goes on to become, I think, whatever, players player of the year that year as well. The best teams always have the best CDM players. Yeah. He was like having an extra player on the team. Exactly. And I'm happy we shouted out both Mares and Kante because the third the third player I have in the Don performance is Vardy himself. Yeah. 24 goals, 11 in a row. You can't say more than that. A fantastic striker, probably his best season. He, he did go on to score a lot more goals in the Premier League. Leicester's now relegated, but... That season, people will remember it for the rest of their life. I mean, Arsenal did try. We did try and actually yep. get Vardy. Yeah, and then a he few years later. renegotiated Leicester's he did. pay or something. Yeah, yeah. He did. He's, and he said no to Wenger. I mean, some people have kind of said it was a bit of a fluke. And, and, and the fact that he um, he's not as technically gifted as, say, the, you know, the world-class strikers, which is probably true. But I think that's still being quite unfair to him. Like, he's gone on to score, have multiple seasons where he's scored more than at least 15 and, yeah. and a few seasons where he scored more than 20 goals. He won the golden boot, I don't know, relatively recently, like maybe 2019 or something. I think it's unfair to call it a fluke. Yeah. When, when his future, his next few seasons, he was still scoring goals. Exactly. It wasn't yeah. a... And with, a, with, a, with a, you know, a subpar team. And I don't think you can fluke scoring goals in the Premier League. Yeah. Yeah. There might be other leagues. The I know the Eredivisie, the Dutch league. I always see statistics. Luis Suarez came from the Dutch league and was scoring two goals a game yeah. for two seasons. But yeah. the Premier League, to it's score goals there. Best. Two other people I wanted to give shout-outs to in terms of Apex performances, Claudio Ranieri. I mentioned it. This was his only top-flight title. Previous years, he'd managed Chelsea. He took them to second place before he got fired by Abramovich when Arsenal won the Invincibles. And I don't think he's hit a, you know, a higher height than what he did that year. An amazing performance and really solidified himself as a, as a master tactician who was able to take a team that no one believed in to the top. It was one of those things where people were looking at it from a non-sporting context as well, where they were like, what other managerial tactics or strategies that he put in place that we can use? Because you've got this team that is, sub, that is not supposed to win this league and ends up winning. So when, when, when people are taking, you know, um, advice from a, from a soccer or a football team and yeah. how they've gone and how much success they've had, you, you know, you've done well. I always think Ranieri, if he gave up coaching, I think he coaches Cagliari and Serie A now, but if he gave up coaching, he'd be set for his career. He could just do motivational talks for yeah. the rest of his, like, you know, when Barack Obama goes, yeah, yeah. flies over, does <laughs> charges hundred K for a talk. Have I missed anyone? Do you think? I mean, there's like, I mean, you kind of said the whole team, yeah. right? So like, I mean, I want to kind of just deep in, uh, dive into that point a little bit where you've got people sitting, uh, so you've got kind of guys in all sorts of different positions that are just playing their role really well. The point that you made earlier, which is they had no injuries. 
So yeah. I don't know how much bench bench strength Leicester had, but I don't think it was very much. <laughs> There's probably none. Exactly. So the fact that they all could, were kind of managed to stay fit and play their role i mean like football is very much a team sport so there's you know different sports like obviously individual sports but something like basketball where an individual player can make a material difference um that's probably harder to do it's it's harder to do that in football so so regardless of how well say jamie vardy's scoring or or mara's is kind of dribbling unless you've got everyone doing their little bit and playing their piece of the puzzle it's it's you're not going to get the results you get and I gotta say, I'm shocked that a team with a backline of Wes Morgan and and Robert Hood were won the title. Yeah, yeah. Before we wrap up, I want to hit a couple points with you. The first one is embrace debate, and I want to hit. A, I want to ask you or sort of think about two questions which were on my mind from a football perspective. The first one is: we know the Premier League is a 38 match uh, season, no playoffs. It's just 38 games. You play each team twice but there's a relegation system and it works beautifully because it creates tension and intensity and a great atmosphere for those final matches. Do you think we need relegation in football in Australia? Do you think it would, would it work in Australia? I think the relegation whole concept is fantastic, but I don't, I don't know if it works in Australia, just given the depth and the quality of team, I mean, quality of teams and the number of teams that are, that are involved. So, I mean, the A-League itself, I think, you know, it's not a controversial statement to say that the quality doesn't compare to the top leagues in the world. And it's, if you're kind of relegating teams, I mean, maybe it does get a bit more support from that that second rung because you've now you've got a bit more, um, you're chasing a little bit more every right. year. But I think it needs to be quite fluid. So you need a fair bit of depth for teams to move up and down. I think it's a, you know, I, I, I don't know how this kind of works, but the finances behind it and all that kind of stuff, I think would make, would be quite disruptive to teams. And you're kind of so once you make the A League or the top league, you're kind of, you know, spending a whole heap of money to allow more fans to come in and do more marketing and etc. I don't know if that works, just given the scale in Australia. I think it's difficult for an Australian market with so many other sports where soccer, football is not the primary sport. A relegation system probably doesn't work in circumstances where the second, third uh, reserve leagues don't have the same level of competition and intensity. Yeah. The, the the relegation system works in England because the Coca-Cola Championship has teams that all probably deserve to be in the Premier League yeah. and uh, could compete with Premier League teams on their day, whereas I don't think that's the same in Australian football. Exactly, yeah. I mean, which is indicative of, of Leicester winning one, you know... Exactly. ...the championship yeah. and then two years later winning the Premier League. So, and then I mean, three years later, uh, a few years later getting relegated. Exactly. <laughs> Leicester, what about, what, before we go on the side yeah. cap, what about the format of the Premier League? So obviously it's a league. I don't know any other professional sports that still do leagues. Yes. Everything is knockout. Would you like to see, I don't know what the format is, but spitballing here, top eight teams going to some sort of, I don't know, quarterfinal? You're basically asking, would I like to see the Premier League adopt an American style sporting final series? Yeah. And my answer is no. But I say no because... It's all about consistency, the Premier League. It's all about can you day in, day out, work hard over a 10-month period to achieve success. A lot of people would say if you didn't have a playoffs sort of atmosphere, then you would lose TV ratings because people won't be interested in the season. I don't think the Premier League has ever suffered from a lack of TV ratings. That's probably right. Yeah, I don't think they need to do it. Would you, would you want to see it? I think I'd be intrigued by it. Okay. 
And I know you're coming from a very purist view, and my answer <laughs> to this question was always no. But as I think more and more, and I don't watch a whole heap of American sports, but I kind of dabble when the finals come around, right? Yeah. Um, and just seeing how much excitement, like NBA is a perfect example where I won't watch it until, or even hear about it, or it, it won't really come up on my social media until it's the playoffs. Yes. And suddenly now I'm like becoming a pseudo expert in <laughs> NBA, right? Um, but the fact that you've got me watching it, who is a non-NBA dude, doesn't play basketball, etc., does it help expand the audience of who watches football, especially if you think about it from an Australian context. I mean, you think about most of our friends, not a whole heap of people. Like if you ask them who won the Premier League two years ago, they probably can't say who it was. Good point. So I'm just saying, I mean, I'm not, it's not, it's not a, you know, it's, it's just a different angle. It brings a bit more excitement. There's a lot more riding on that one game that occurs, whether it's the quarter or the semi or true. You'd also do it in a way where the top teams get certain benefits. I know there's, you know, there's different ways of yeah. doing that. The whole thing is it just makes it a little bit more exciting. I mean, the Leicester season probably isn't a great example, but there's seasons where you're 30 games in. And I mean, last season with Manchester City, no, last just, season was more competitive. But, but it's um, already decided it's already after, decided. as you say. Th- so after you're at 30, 32 games, 32 games yeah. and you're kind of like, no one's watching the... I mean, sure, the fans in the UK are going, but I'm sure their TV ratings worldwide drop. That's a, that's a very good point. And I could probably look back at a lot of Man United seasons during the Ferguson era. Yeah. When yep. the Premier League was decided by March, and I would be interested in knowing what the TV ratings were in England, which were probably strong, as you said, but worldwide might have dropped considerably. But then there's an argument for being dynamic and responding to change. And there is a whole fan base that probably wants to see more excitement and more do or die games. Yeah. Yeah. But then the only pushback I would have is the Premier League does have other competitions like the FA yep. Cup and League yep. Cup where they do this knockout format. Yep. And so if you did adopt a different format, maybe th- those tournaments would would probably go away. But that's Which yeah. I think, I mean, to be honest, they've probably lost a bit of their luster anyway in exactly. the last 10, 15 years. I, mean, I could care less who wins the yeah, League Cup. It's kind of the, the domestic league and then it's the Champions League. That's what yes. people care about regardless of what league they follow. So it's it's a, something that I've thought about a fair bit and it's... um. I don't know. If, if, if there was an announcement, 2028 <laughs> Premier League is going to trial this and I'm happy to do a trial and see if it works, right? Yes. I also think, and I don't know, this is uh, maybe delving a little bit too deep, but a team like Manchester City at the moment, which is which is quite dominant, yes. right? Do they go on to win this quarterfinal final series? I probably think they do. But mm. what happens is you get four, five, six unbelievable games. It's a good point if, you know, the Premier League officials are somehow, for some reason, listening Listening. to this podcast. Aside from your mum and dad, if there's (laughs) there's any other people listening out Which I say every episode. (laughs) Uh, Although I want to finish with this. 40 years time. So when did Leicester win? They won in 2015. I think we'll be 65 years old. What do you mean? 30 times plus 40? No, 55 plus 10, 1990. Yeah, but just do. How old are you now? 32, 33 plus 40 years, 72. No, I'm saying 40 years from the Premier League. Oh, right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. (laughs) Are you going to be talking about this season? Do you think it's something that will still hold, be relevant in 40 years' time? I think we've, I mean, definitely yes. Yeah. Um, the way we've spoken about it, I think the answer was always going to be yes. I mean, the one data point is there's, well, Premier League's, like the Premier League in its current format has been since, what, starting 1992? Yes. Early 90s. Seven teams have won it. Mm. The big five, Arsenal, City, United, Liverpool, Chelsea. Is that correct? Yep. Yep, the big yeah, big and five. Then Tottenham hasn't won it. Tottenham hasn't won it exactly. Yep. And then you've got Blackburn, Blackburn, yeah, 
who won in whatever, 94 or something, and Leicester, right? But the Blackburn, I always remember the Blackburn thing, even though I was like two years old and have no affiliation. I know Alan Shearer was playing there, yes. and that's, that's literally about it. That's but the fact I that I still know about that fact is just indicative. And then you talk about, and then Blackburn were actually a good team back then. They were. Whereas Leicester is, is I don't know, I don't know, was just a random underdog that ended up winning. I think you definitely talk about this. I think we would be talking about this in 40 years' time because you can't forget this. This is a season that will, in all likelihood, never happen again. I want to see more of this. Did we do justice to it, the season? I think we did. I think we did. I think we covered as much as we possibly could and, and tried to get people who don't necessarily watch football understand how much of a, how, how big of a feat it was. Ardu, love doing this episode with you. You're definitely coming back for some future football episodes. I know how much you love football. Thanks, and we did, get, we did get an insight into that love, under fours. I'm under still fours, shocked exactly, about that. Yeah. But thanks for coming on the episode and had a, had a lot of fun. Matt, I've been, I've been a big fan from day one. And, um, it's one and a half months ago. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I've been a big fan, but um, love what you're doing. Keep doing it. That's it for today's episode. A lot of other exciting content coming up in the next few weeks. So I want you to keep listening. I might send you some sneak previews of what's to come. Any other suggestions or categories or, you know, things you think you want us to talk about and you'd love to listen to, feel free to let me know. I'm loving the engagement so far. So keep it up and I will see you next week. Same time. Same time.